Welcome inside the world of Duotone, everybody. I'm Josie Ashler, and joining me today in the studio, I have five times world champion and two times Red Bull King of the Air champion, Aaron Hadlow. Aaron, good morning. Morning, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Where are you at? Yeah, I'm out and about in, in Europe at the minute. Um, left the UK a couple of months ago just to, to go testing in Germany. And yeah, basically haven't been back since. Been traveling around and yeah, kind of uh, in and out of Holland and been over in Greece lately just testing some more kites as well. So yeah, just busy on the road really yeah it's nice to finally be able to travel you know what a year and a half two years we have had it's still not as easy as it was before but it is really nice to be out and about like you say yeah definitely really missed it um been pretty lucky being able to to get around and do a few things but yeah like you say now it's starting to become a, a little bit more normal and yeah just nice to be to be busy and doing what we're used to and of course not everywhere is open and it's different for different places but you know just being able to do the odd trip here and there and spend some time doing what we love to do has been amazing again yeah to be able to call work passion is definitely very fortunate yeah so Aaron, run me through a little bit your history in kite surfing. I mean, everybody knows your name. You've been five times world champion. You were the guy pushing the freestyle movement and also very heavily involved in R&D since the beginning. I mean, back in the days where you one of the first guys to go to South Africa with guys like Jason Furness, I think you've probably been part of every single movement in kiting. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, when I was uh, yeah really young, yeah, I started in the UK competing and and then, like you say, I headed over to South Africa early. And at that point, I got picked up by um, by Flexifoil. And yeah, like Jason, he took me on and, and managed me a little bit. But they really needed some uh, development in the kites at that time. I got on mm-hmm. the, um, their first ever inflatable kite that they made for the first year. And we needed to improve that. And even though I was young, I was able to kind of, um, yeah, just be able to learn a lot about it at that time. I sucked in all the information and Year by year, we started to get closer and closer with the team. And then obviously I improved as a rider, started trying to find something that I could uh, compete with at the highest level. And yeah, we started pushing the kite down in that direction. And um, like things developed and really learned a lot about that. Obviously, the industry changed a lot with different types of kites and making it more accessible. And yeah, just managed to uh, to be involved with quite a lot of stages of kiteboarding, a lot of styles as well and yeah here we are now all these years later here with duotone and um i'm able to be able to you know use all that information i've learned over the years and and put that into products still yeah i think one of the things we see a lot about is riders can be very one-track mind you know you have your specific freestyle rider you have your specific big air rider but in your opinion is it important that they have the knowledge of the equipment they're using and all the different disciplines of the sport sorry i understand yeah from both ways actually it's like when i was competing i just was only focused on freestyle 100 percent, and i just wanted the best kite for that and there was nothing else mattered didn't matter what was going on around um, the industry or, you know, from even from a sales point of view, it was just like, I need this one kite. And a lot mm-hmm. of my energy went into that at the time. But obviously, like as things develop and especially as I grew up as well, like you realize, oh, look at all these different types of kites. And I would say, especially in the last two or three years working with Ralph, that I really jumped into that side of things to really understand, like how all the different types of kites are working 
uh, in terms of like, yeah, just the steering, the power development and and the target audience. So in the last few years, I really learned a lot about the overall package. And I think from a rider's point of view, it's also, um, yeah, like I say, I totally understand the people pushing down one direction. And I think mm-hmm. if you can do that, that's not a bad way to go because the only way to become, a, like let's say, a world champion or like top level is to stick to, to one discipline. You know, it's clear that you cannot be probably you have to be very very talented these days to be able to you know put all the skills together in multiple disciplines and and be the best at it so this is good but um yeah from the other side i also really uh, appreciate or yeah like look at the guys who can do different disciplines and know they have a really good understanding of kiteboarding you know somebody who can do big air and uh, and freestyle stick a waveboard under their feet and still do a few things so i think it's nice to both sides are, are also fine yeah yeah, I think it's really important to have specific people for dis- different disciplines. I mean, you know, you need those people to push it, to take it to the next level. I mean, look at yourself back in the freestyle days. It didn't matter if it was seven meter Lucat or perfect Brazil. You were out there looking for doubles. You were out there looking to push the boundaries. Then maybe today, for example, you'll be doing more big air in those conditions. Yeah, I totally agree. A question that comes up these days, for example, take you and Ruben, you guys were pushing the mega loop movement. You guys were pushing, going big, going high and looping that kite into the power zone. And, you know, maybe even before you, you had Felix Pivik and Beltran Fleury with the donuts, as they called as the F-16. You know, how important is the equipment to be able to do this? You know, has the equipment changed that now you guys can perform moves that you couldn't do back then? What's changed? Yeah, that's a difficult question, actually. But I think, yeah, the kites have obviously changed massively. And like, if I go back to when I started doing big air and big big jumps and it was in a combination with the freestyle but yeah like you say with Ruben I mean I was way more focused on freestyle and did a bit of big air on the side for fun or to like to ride with him but he was focused more on big air once he realized Mm. oh maybe he's not so keen on competing and even though he was at a really high level in freestyle he saw his channel and his adrenaline coming from the big air sides and at that time my kite was fully developed for uh for freestyle so you know if i did a kite loop or got it a little bit wrong i would just fall out the sky because that thing was meant to like pop and slack and didn't really have any drive to catch you from a big loop whereas the slingshot kite was probably at the the top back then for kite loops and, and big air jumps and that was like the kite to have so yeah, it was definitely at the time when I was I was there, I was also like thinking, oh, maybe this is a thing, like I should develop the kite to do a bit of both and see if we can get it to drive better. And uh, yeah, I think it really defined you as a rider as well. It really made you learn the hard way and um, yeah, maybe push some people in certain directions because of the equipment that was available. And I would say these days, yeah, it's um, the kites are just much more, or you can pick let's say pick the kite um, that you want to use for your let's say level of extremity and like if you want to go full kite loop and you know just get fully yanked and a lot of power you can take let's say a vegas a sea kite or you can go totally the opposite end of the spectrum which is more of a you know easy going kite something like a yeah an evo or like now we have the evo sls which is like a an all-round kite but you can really loop that thing you can gain some good power but you can also like learn 
where the power comes from without fully getting slammed straight away. So, yeah, I would say it's it's easier to learn big air these days. The kites definitely jump much higher because they have a lot more D-power and a lot more performance. And the kite loops are, yeah, they're manageable, let's say. So you can really pick what you, you want to do. Um, I think the kids coming up these days, they, they see a good opportunity in, in big air. And, yeah, you can learn it um, in a certain way and then just start pushing it from there and making it more extreme and making it harder so yeah it's, it's, it's definitely changed and developed over the years yeah it definitely is insane to see what the guys and girls are pulling off now but let's go a little bit back in time Aaron in the days of Mark Shinnam and Adam Cock you were the Gromon tour and board offs were the move to go even before handle passes one of the things that people are saying and we're seeing today with the new big air is that there are a lot of those old school moves but with a new school twist and you know do you see the similarities yeah definitely i mean that's something that i um i would like to see like the young kids at least learning like more handle pass stuff and and like more technical tricks just because i think it really mm-hmm. develops you as a kite an overall kite border more um but yeah it's like it's really funny because yeah this was stuff we were doing in 2000 and well from the start of the sport basically until maybe 2003 4 where things starts to change so like when the big air thing started to change and people started wearing straps and doing board offs again for me it was really strange because like okay i hadn't done it <laughs> 10 or 15 years or however long i've been locked in but for me just to you know take a little while to get back used to that and do all the tricks that i used to be able to do as a kid it was not taking me so long so in my opinion it's not difficult um it's like yeah the technical handle passes are much harder to master and it's uh and it's just yeah different i guess it's a different opinion if you've been through all that before in the past and obviously the younger generation they haven't done that so that's something new and different for them because you know you're learning it from scratch and it also develops you as a good kiteboarder too but uh it's quite focused in that way for big air now but there are of course some uh, differences i think it's more refined now it's in combination with bigger jumps just because of the equipment and also yeah it's in combination with kite loops and maybe if you asked me what my vision of big air kiteboarding would have been uh, some years ago it would not be what it is now it'd be maybe more extreme I would have mm-hmm. thought maybe the kids would have um, taken more risk and, you know, pushed it in a different direction. But that's uh, part of the develop now. And I think maybe that's still still to come. And it's uh, it's really still great to see um, different avenues in kiteboarding for, for people that want to do different things. Yeah, I would agree. I thought I'd see the kids take it a little bit more extreme. But, you know, there's still a lot of time to go and... I think after this year and a half, two years where everybody has kind of been on the low, we're going to see some new stuff coming. We've seen, um, you know, it's kind of stood still since that kite loop board off, but I'm sure we're going to be seeing that with front rotations like boogie loop board offs, or we're going to see hitting some tic tacs in there. I think it's going to be really interesting. Personally, I'd love to see some very old school high handle passes, but. I mean, obviously, they have their work cut out for them. You know what it is like to come from behind and push up and create and then go past the, the current heroes. And, you know, at the moment, the guys like you, like Jesse, like Nick, you guys have the experience. So, obviously, going in a heat with people like you is always going to be nerve-wracking. But it's definitely going to be an interesting season. And it's really great to see uh, Discipline uh, Avenue of the sport just getting explored. And, yeah, sky's the, sky's the limit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an experience 
thing as well and taking that into competitions like the king of the air and you see the winners usually generally have yeah some sort of good history from from competing and and doing this stuff but yeah there will be a point where there's changes as well you know you never know but um yeah like you say it's uh I just seen it in the past hit like a plateau of how many times mm. it's been with your board off or how many times you can do this. And although now there is the kite loop element to it, I, I see that coming to a point where, yeah, someone's going to have to pull out something more outstanding um, to really to really stand out. So, yeah, it's pretty exciting times coming up in the next few years. Yeah, that's actually a really good point, Aaron. I mean, you were one of the guys pursuing the double handle passes back in the day. You were one of the guys pushing and sometimes you were even trying to go for triples and it did get to a point where I think it started to become a spin for win. So instead of looking for the style, looking for the quality, it was basically how many handle passes you could do. And then especially guys like you, you decided to pursue a different avenue and stop the spin to win and maybe go for one very powerful, stylish and tweaked single instead of going for a pushed out double. When did you come to that mindset? When did you come to that point where you said, no, this isn't the avenue we want to pursue. Let's go down this way and see where it takes us. Yeah, I think it was just everything was bunching up really close together and no one was really standing out so much. I think it was just getting to a point where it was very condition dependent as well. Obviously, if you were in a nice lagoon in brazil where everyone was you know quite close and then you would go to a choppy place in uh yeah like whatever south coast of england or Germany mm. or wherever the competition would have been and you know the level gets pegged back a little bit because you just you know struggling to land anything in those sort of conditions um and i think from my point of view it's also like how how the styles develop like um i always try to keep things much smoother or even still do these days and um rather than being super erratic and adding the extra rotation like it's just like what suited me as well and yeah it's like you can there's different ways to stand out and i think that was the, the way I chose to try and, and push it a little bit, but you also can't stop the development of making a new trick and whether that is just a, you know, a, a slim seven or a slim nine or a slim 10 one day, you know, it's like, that is the next level. And this is like, really is the pinnacle of the sport. It's the hardest tricks you can do with a kite in your hand. So, you know, you definitely can't stop that, but, you know, I really respect what, you know, Valentin and some of the top guys are, are doing on the tour because they're doing these tricks and they're executing them really well. And it, and it looks good to me, you know, so this is like the, the, the pinnacle and yeah, I really, really like to see it. And I really hope, you know, there's people pushing that still further in the future. Um, but like you say, and like I said before, it definitely comes to a limit. And when I was learning to add an extra 180 was, you know, was happening every few months because uh yeah it was just it was limited limitless then it felt like and and things were coming quick and different tricks were coming up and you're really trying to figure out a, a route whereas now kind of the tricks are quite set so you know it could take up to a year to for someone to land an extra 180 into a trick which is uh yeah for us who know what we're looking at it's impressive and it's it's really great but uh i think that's maybe part of the thing is like not everyone understands the difficulty and maybe still looks the same as the old trick. So yeah, that's a bit of a dilemma, but that's the, the sport we're in. 
Yeah, I agree. I think you need both sides. I mean, you know, look at riders like Valentin Rodriguez, who spins like there's no tomorrow. You know, he can do triples like there is nothing. But also, I think you need to get to that point because then that rider can decide, okay, now I'm going to turn it down and maybe go for a double with huge amounts of style, huge amounts of travel and trying to tweak out as much as possible. I mean, we've seen it in sports like snowboarding, you know, the likes of Sean White. It got to a point where a halfpipe competition was literally, it was a 10 a 10 a 10 a 10 you could almost say it was getting boring super technical super difficult but not as appealing and then they they kind of did the same they went down and you know you can see these guys doing absolutely huge 360s super stylish really nice and easy tweaked out just you know doing the the biggest expression they can do because i mean in the end freestyle is the expression of a rider out on the water and it is personal to each individual yeah, and I think, yeah, that's what you say, like, in, um, you know, it was all looking very samey and hard to differentiate the riders. And if someone can, they all be at the, the, the same level, but add different things to their riding that uh, that takes them apart a little bit. And there's innovation in, in ever, other areas of the trick, then this is also really nice to see. I mean, Aaron, you've been one of the riders that has always pushed, pushed the envelope on freestyle. You have invented countless moves out there. And like you were saying before, sometimes that extra 180, that extra grab can take up to six months of trial and error. What keeps the motivation? What keeps that drive? Is landing that for the first time and being the only person on the planet such an adrenaline lift? Um, rush well, you know kind of what does it for you yeah definitely I mean it depends on the type of person most definitely but like I just like strive to progress in any walk of life you know anything that I do I just want to you know always be learning and, and getting something new and I think in kite surfing I had that from a young age so that was just something that I just like craved and chased after and it was happening so often because the sport was so new that it was just mm. like I had the opportunity to do that and and be the front runner, you know, and I was able to go away and come back the next year knowing that I had some new tricks in my locker to, you know, get a head start on the championship and hopefully take it through to the end of the year. And yeah, it's just like that. And once you get your first taste for winning a competition, knowing that it the work paid off and, you know, maybe you land that new trick in the final that wins you the event. And for me, like there was never really any a, a better feeling. And I think a lot of sports people in, in all sports, they have a similar mindset to that. It's like this constant strive to better themselves and yeah i think it's just literally that feeling i mean i think it can be related into different uh whatever you're doing whether it's sport or or others or business or whatever you know there's people that are successful because they're just so driven absolutely i mean i think it is that drive and there's always two types of riders when it comes to different sports you have the competition rider who can you know can is calm and collected when it comes to inner heat. And then you have the free rider that might not perform in competitions, but you get him out there on a free session and nobody can touch him. Take surfing, for example. You've got the competition machine of the likes of Kelly Slater. And then when it comes to free riding, you have guys like Clay Marzo, who absolutely breaks down when it comes to comps. Aaron, you've been both. You've been the competition machine and the free ride rider. What do you need to be the optimal competition rider and the optimal free rider? Um, yeah, it's difficult. Like, I definitely 
know, seeing it happen the the years after I was winning as well. Like some people mm-hmm. just they spent so so much energy to win the championship that when they got to that point they were just like exhausted and just just was like okay like i've done it and just check out it happened like also like in formula one for instance i follow that quite a little bit and uh, the same thing happened to nico rosberg against lewis hamilton that he just retired after the (laughs) out of nowhere you know because it was just like okay i've made it and it took so much of my time i'm ready to you know to move on and do it do it in a different way and find that that uh, adrenaline and that progressive feeling in a in another point but um yeah i don't know like for me it was just i got to the goal and i wanted to set a benchmark and you know carry on all the time that i had the opportunity and the drive to do that and i'm not 100 percent sure where that definitely comes from but i think i just saw the opportunity it wasn't tiring me out it was just where i was at and yeah i stopped when i stopped because yeah that's i needed that time to to take a break and gather it gather my thoughts and see where i want to be and then again a couple of years later i wanted that back so i came back and and now i still you know like even though it's with big air or not so much on the world tour like i still have that feeling to to win the king of the air and and still progress myself so yeah i I really i think it's just personal for for everybody and some people don't like to be to to be judged on a seven minute heat Uh, i think someone like ruben was a perfect example he put a lot of energy he won competitions he came close to championships but uh in the end he was like why am i letting some people judge me when i can just you know be myself on the water be happy with that and let you know show this to the world and try and inspire people so i think we're uh, two great examples of both sides of that but yeah i also had some some time off like you say and just hung out with friends shot videos try to you know show my riding in a different way and i enjoyed that too but yeah for me it was always uh the competitive side of me always kind of comes out and wins i guess yeah yeah i think that's two really good examples i mean like you say ruben he didn't like to be boxed in he just wanted to go out there express himself and then you know guys like you who are more into competitions kind of like a kelly slater and kind of in pursuit for those championships could um handle that pressure a bit more in the end and you know not everything is made out for everybody and i think you know each rider each individual has to find their niche and then you know go go at it full speed and just you know pursue it i mean aaron you know you're very involved with the duotone team you've got riders like mika like valentine with all your experience and with all the things you've gone through and all the things you've achieved what makes a good rider these days um yeah it's hard i mean i really want to help out the the younger generation just because you know especially within the team because yeah i've been there all before and there's uh yeah i just seen it all happen i think i can share that experience and yeah definitely was quite a big plan actually to kind of jump on onto that and do that the last couple of years but obviously things have come to a bit of a halt and now we're starting to see the competitions open a little bit and hopefully we can restart that kind of project so um yeah it's it's cool it's it's just like uh you see the talent especially for someone so young and I had a lot of like guidance and help from my dad who helped push me through um point me in the right direction uh motivate me yeah in a way that maybe I didn't realize at the time so um 
it's, it's obviously different when you're within the family, but uh, I think like if I can come in and and, sh- and yeah, take care of some of the stuff that not everybody sees or what you don't really realize as when you're young. Uh, I think if you're someone like Valentin now, he was, you know, the previous world champion, he was at the top and maybe, you know, he, he doesn't know like how much hunger the other people around him will have to try and beat him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you need to keep that motivation going strong during the competition. You need him yeah, to be focused, ready. And of course, he's been been doing really well and he came out of nowhere and, and blew up. And he's just so talented that he has this opportunity. And, you know, for someone like me, I don't want to see that wasted because I think just for himself, for the sport, it's just something that could be a really good uh really good way forward and really nice to see so yeah um it's hard to know what makes someone so uh yeah so competitive and so good and someone like mika for instance she has a good support around her she lives in a really great spot she's motivated she's yeah she's just super talented and just yeah sometimes a combination comes together and uh you see the results yeah yeah things align and champions are made i mean going back to the r&d side aaron i mean as a rider you've pretty much done it all you've had all the championships you've run most of the competitions and then you stayed in the industry so many times we see riders as soon as their competition career is over they disappear you for example you've got involved with the r&d you're very close with ralph um, grossel who we had on the um, podcast not so long ago the kite designer for duotone where's the drive how do you guys take a kite that already works and you know where do you start to want to improve that and you know how do you come to that segment of where to go i mean you actually had one of the first pro model kites with the the sea kite the hadlow in flexi you've always been super involved in the development and i think it's super important that riders know what they are using and what they are riding well it's difficult you know because every year we make this kite and we say all right this is the one like and then obviously a year later you're coming around to a new development phase and you have to yeah just uh, try and push it and i think it's um you know there's a really good base there with the kites that we have and in the end it's quite a lot of tweaking and can we do this can we do that can we make it jump higher somehow can we make it turn better somehow can we make a combination of different variables that you know just makes the kite sweet or you know it's actually different sizes we have you know seven till 14 in some models of one meter squared increments and yeah as the kites get bigger you know things have to change so you really have to focus on getting them all in line or maybe one's like a bit like outstanding and not in line there and uh yeah you need to make sure every single size and every single kite is on point uh, i think year on year we try and just refine that if there's some market feedback on you know something that's uh yeah not even an issue but like could be improved that's something we look at and work on and try and implement that and then again bring that down through the whole range so yeah it's funny it's like uh yeah with different materials and stuff like this i think that's where we've really found uh uh, an improvement and something that we can can uh, work on and and really make big increments to the to the change of the feel of the the kites. But again, like it's, it's new, so we're learning all the time. Of course, and, um, that's what makes it it really really tough, but also makes it exciting. And I think it's the same like with riding. It's the same for Ralph with the kites. He's driven. He wants to make the best equipment and 
yeah, together with me helping uh, the testing and relating the the feeling to the design and to the files, we were really able to to work on something. Yeah, pretty special, I would say, in the last few years with the the new D-Lab kite, for instance, the the juice. We've uh, no lie that it's been difficult to make that material work because of its properties and making the the seams and everything. The durability of the kite as well is, is another issue. So that's something we work on. But when you fly, like, for instance, this 13-meter juice D-Lab, man, it's a real eye-opener and a change change for the industry. Um and yeah, like when the Penta TX came uh, came out for the first time, you see now that we're implementing that into to all the kites. Um, but yeah, you have to redesign the kite to make that material work. It's that different, but the results just been phenomenal. So it's um, yeah, for me, I really notice it, and for me to get that kite, also for me personally, doing the big air and and still doing you know freestyle and all these disciplines, like for me to get that that new, let's say like the new Dice SLS, like I need that in my hands because I know that yeah. has the most potential, um, and I know like if once that gets out to other riders and you know people that can buy that kite, they're going to have that same feeling. So yeah, it's a bit of everything that makes you driven to do that. Your little grain of sand, mate. So, Aaron, talk to me a little bit about boards. You've always um, been really involved with your boards from the beginning. I remember, you know, down the days when you had the Hannah Pass ring around you, you've always been changing boards, messing around with fins, always super involved in the designs. And, you know, new materials coming up, just like you were talking about on the kites, where half the weight, double the strength, different flexes, different stiffnesses, kind of run through for us what board works for what like for example let's say a board for a newcomer coming into the sport a board for that person pursuing let's say the old school new school big air discipline that we're coming starting to see and then the pure wake style freestyler yeah definitely we have a lot of boards in the range now and even yeah back in the day it was uh, a little bit more yeah simplified let's say when i was designing my own boards with a uh, flexi foil and you know branding all my equipment with my name there was two serious boards that I wanted to have and that was like a wake style board which was stiffer and yeah just like harder more channels more grip more rocker um that's something that could accommodate boots so yeah you have this side and then you had a more flexible lighter weight board with straps more flex which is just a more comfortable ride so I would say like how the sport was and was developing during that time until now it's you need these kind of two main kind of boards and then obviously a very easy bigger more simple cheaper price point board for the very beginner so mm-hmm. maybe those three were like the key elements and i think like that's kind of what we even have now but of course we have more in between we also have like the women's women's version in there, of course, because that's a big side of the sport now. Um, so, yeah, we have anything from beginner to advance. And yeah, like I say, like the, the beginner boards will be very simple, quite yeah, cheaper price point just because you want to get into that, into the sport. And then eventually you're going to progress and want something more with more performance. And yeah, you as you move up, I think you see more technical channels so it gives you more grip and yeah the i think for me like i would say like the flex is one of the most important things for for performance um combined with channels so you'll have a a wake style board which we have in the team series the hadlow team series um and this is a quite a stiff board which means like when you're landing 
the stiffness of the board combined with the channels is really just solid when you come in and you can pop very hard because you can, you know, move a lot of water on takeoff. And this is what creates it for the wake style tricks. When you want straps on, there's less pressures going through the board. So you can have more flexibility and you need that flex actually to give it a more comfortable ride. It takes less pressure to to really get a nice edge and a good takeoff. So this is important. And yeah, you have the different models in this way. And then we also have, you know, the the SLS version and the, the original version, which is basically a, a glass layup or a carbon layup. And then with the glass, we'll give you something a bit more, yeah, dampening, a bit more easy going, a more, uh, more conventional flex, whereas the carbon will just be very aggressive, very snappy, um, lighter weight, more performance in, in that sense. So I think if you look at the overall Giotto range, it's really, um, yeah, you have a board for everything, plus you have like the advanced version of that board too. So yeah, it's a good range and yeah, a little bit complicated, I guess. But I think if you really jump down into into the range and see what everything is is there for then you can understand it yeah no doubt aaron talk to me about inegra this new material we saw it on all of the a lot of the um 2021 twin tips even on some of the surfboards and i know you were one of the first guys and one of the main people involved in this what is this new material inegra yeah the carbon inegra is an interesting one because um it's something kind of like in between the, the carbon and and the glass i think it's yeah it's more towards carbon just based on on the weight but it gives you more of the dampening effect so carbon has to u- be used quite um in a, in a technical way because it obviously it becomes very stiff and if it's just mm-hmm. like total totally way too stiff it becomes brittle we started developing it for the team series and for the the boards with boots and the boards that are taking heavy landings and a lot of pressure and we found like we could get the benefits of the lightweight carbon just like less brittle and a little bit softer on the landings because um yeah when you're coming in you want to have a little bit of dampening and yeah i would say it's definitely not the same as as the glass it's way more reactive and still quite snappy but it's more the properties of yeah the just the dampening effect it's it's in there with the enegra so a really interesting material and really yeah glad we can can work with that on the boards these days yeah it's like you say it's just pursuing different avenues and different materials to kind of get the maximum out of the board depending on what you're doing Aaron, a couple of questions that came up on the beach not so long ago. One was bindings or boots. What's the difference and where do you use them? And then the other one was how to set up your foot straps for big air. Of course, if you're going huge, you want that board not to release. You want it to be as secure as possible, you know, so it doesn't, one foot doesn't come out, it doesn't fall off in the air or just as you take off, um, you know, so that board doesn't stay up when 250 meters and you have to kind of, you know, drive yourself all the way back up to be able to get your board. But then of course, a lot of these new moves where you're doing board offs you want the board to be able to come off of your feet and back on easily how do you set that up well i mean the difference between boots and straps is really defined by yeah like the discipline you're doing and i think uh yeah in the past i've done big air with boots because that was what i was most comfortable with with and uh where the sport was at at the time but as things have developed it's clear now in competitions you need to be able to take the board off for big air so i think it's pretty clear if you do big air you're riding straps and if you're doing handle passes and 
especially at a very high level, then boots are you're getting more uh, better takeoff and better landing and, and going bigger. So it's uh, I think that's quite an easy decision these days. It's definitely um, knowing when to take that step maybe can become difficult, but it's just something you have to try and see if you want to to go down that direction. And then setting up the straps, yeah, it's, it's hard. It's um, I think it's just different for everybody, to be honest. Like, I actually ride my straps super loose um, and, yeah, just try and manage everything on the water and take off and land in uh, at a little bit of a compromise for being having easy access in and out because, yeah, it's like if you're sending a, a mega loop board off and you're trying to get that your feet back in the board and yeah (laughs) right i would have landed that if i could have just got them in a little bit better or so again it comes from like when i was younger and how i used to ride and how comfortable i am with looser straps um and obviously depends on the type of straps and like how your feet will get in there and and then sit when when once you're in but um yeah and it's also where you come from, come from, like when I first switched back from boots, I probably had them quite a bit tighter because I was just used to being way more locked in. Of course. Um, but yeah, it's, it's personal preference. I know a lot of people that have, yeah, them strapped up super tight and they would rather get a good takeoff and, and be solid on landing and, and yeah, just... Uh, use the technique to get them in a, a little bit more solid during the air. So it's just a bit of a balance, really. And uh, something I think you need to find out for yourself, yeah. So, Aaron, let's talk about learning tricks. I mean, you know, back in the day, you had DVDs like Progression that you made yourself where I think I probably slow-mo that a 100 times to learn a uh, mobile, you know, even Space Monkeys on when it was on VHS where you'd be fast-forwarding and rewinding just to, to know how to do the move. These days, for example, companies like Duotone have brought out the app, the Academy app that you were a really big part of that you can talk to a rider, see all the different moves, it's explained, it's slow-mo you have description i think it's a you know really cool to see tools like this and how do you think that helps newcomers learn new tricks yeah i think it's really good the apps have been really impressive from my point of view and being able to be involved um yeah i mean i mainly just done the the wake style tricks but yeah wow it's like uh i really wanted to take it on and give the correct info you know i really took that mm-hmm. project. i wanted to give it step by step really correct i did all the text myself so that it was really not not lost in in any way and obviously filmed all the tricks as well there in um, um for the app so i think it's been really cool and like you say like i've done some other ones in the past um but the sport moves on and progresses and you need um more updated things um and yeah like now if you want to go down that route that's a really good platform but you know you can start from zero and get to that or you can get to like the big air jumps or you can go down the surfboard route and with this app it has like everything broken down so yeah i mean there were a few tools back in the back before when we were were doing it there was a lot of dvds out there and then that came on into the app and for sure if you search online there's just a lot of content now and it's hard to find what is the right thing yeah the app you know you can be sure that duotone have put good energy into trying to do it the right way and it's like a reliable source for how to do something so i think from that instance it's yeah it's really a really cool app and i think yeah as it develops i think there's yeah some really nice plans or you know or even just opportunities in the future with an app like this and 
you know, making it more social between people and interacting more and sharing their experiences. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to be an important part for the future and kids are able to jump on there and, and see what's what and who's doing what their friends are doing or whatever, you know, or try and learn with a friend together just on the beach. It's accessible on the phone. So yeah, I mean, when I was younger and learning, there was nothing like that. It was just trial and error and <laughs> what you can do and crash and, yeah. and take it on. But now, yeah, you have the opportunity to learn really fast. I mean, how many times did you slow-mo space monkeys, mate? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was more like pause and uh, play on the VHS, I think. I know. Yeah, we are getting old, mate. We are getting old. So, Aaron, tell me about some crazy trips. I mean, I know you go all around all over the world and you go to places like Namibia where you have this uh, VIP treatment uh, kind of clinic. How do you come up with these locations and what is it like on those trips? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... Uh, like you say, Namibia probably has to be a, I mean, before that, if you had, uh, if I hadn't been on that trip, I probably would have said going to, yeah, like uh, the east of Russia. We did a duotone photo shoot there for the Vegas mm-hmm. one year, and that was just like a real eye opener and quite insane. It was, yeah, crazy. But I think, yeah, the, the one to Namibia, um, I've been there twice. The last time was with the R&D guys, but the one before I, yeah, I went with a, a group of guys and we went through the desert, um, yeah, just like no phone signal for five days, full free camping just in the Namibian desert. And then we popped out of the coast and, yeah, we did these downwinders down the coast, down back down to civilization. And, yeah, that was definitely one of the most beautiful countries I've been to recently. It's really one that sticks in my mind. So, yeah, for now, I would say that's the, the craziest one. But always open to explore more i can imagine and if you had to say what is your greatest achievement or what is your greatest contribution to kiting what would it be um i like to think that i help yeah try and just push the sport in a really good direction and you know i always did what i believed in and wanted to kind of show yeah the world what was possible um so yeah but like best achievement for sure um yeah do just the success that i had in the competitions but then i think probably the thing i feel best best about was like i got injured and had a serious injury and then being able to come back from that and in the same year i won uh i won my first uh, world cup competition and then yeah followed by the king of the air won that event as well and to be able to come back from such a setback and have like so much success in that year was probably the best achievement and the hardest I had to work to to get something so yeah I would say that's my personal one but um yeah some of my my ideas and development into the sport and and uh yeah that's it really and Aaron do you live by a motto I know you have for example a phrase tattooed to your forearm do you have a motto yeah I mean it's like just I think it changes as time goes on and I just always True. had like True. uh yeah, just my tattoo says, believe in your vision, accomplish ambition. And that's something I got quite some time ago. But it was really just to like say, like, stay focused, really put your mind to what you want to achieve and, you know, work hard at it and you can you can make that happen. Um, so I think, yes, uh, if you apply and you really want something, just go all in and, and focus on that, because that's is something that gives you joy and you want to you want to achieve those goals so i would say like that and and also just yeah be present enjoy what you're doing and and 
get where you want to be. Yeah, absolutely, Aaron. And I think, you know, to be able to be, you know, 20 years down the line and see and still doing what you love, still doing your passion. I mean, congratulations, mate. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Well, Aaron, thank you very much for joining us here on Inside the World of Duotone. Get yourself down to Tarifa. Beers are on me, mate, next visit. Yeah, definitely. It's been a while now, so you a visit and uh yeah thanks for having us on the on the pod and yeah chat to you soon yeah thanks aaron and thanks everybody that was aaron hadlow and this is inside the world of duotone 